0: This is the J. Scott Outdoors podcast on Western Big Game Hunting and Fishing, brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more, go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and join today. I'm your host, Jay Scott, and I live and breathe hunting and fishing, spending half the year in the field experiencing God's creation. I hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors Western Big Game Hunting and Fishing podcast. Today we have a great show. We have a fellow coos deer fanatic, Tim Maddock, and uh, Tim and I are going to dive into all of the aspects of hunting desert ranches compared to mountain ranches for coos deer. And we're going to go over my observations and, and Tim's observations. Tim has been able to run a bunch of trail cameras the last several years down on desert ranches and gather a lot of intel and data about deer movements and what have you. So It's going to be a great episode, but before we get into that, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, our ratings and reviews on iTunes. I really appreciate everyone that has left a five-star rating and left comments, positive comments uh, on the review section. I want to go over a few of these reviews. Uh, We've got AZ Stumpy, best podcast ever. Thanks, Jay. Awesome. Awesome. By Wu Tang Fan. Very informative and well done podcast and very interesting guests. Love how you really go into detail about the gear and hunts. Keep it up. Superior by Spacey Jr. J. Scott's podcast is the best there is. Very inf- informational and current with hot topics in hunting and fishing industry. If you want the inside scoop from the best outfitter, outfitters, in the West, you should simply not miss these podcasts. Can't wait for the ne- next episode, Jay. Thanks. Number one, hunting and fishing podcast by Siomber. Jay and his guests have a wealth of knowledge. Every episode, I learn something that I can take into the field. I love the gear section, hearing what you guys use and why you use them. This is a great resource. Can't say enough about this podcast. Jay, Please get Randy Ulmer on your show. I would love to hear how the guy gets it done on Monster Muleys. Well, it's funny you say that. Uh, Randy is going to be on the podcast, and I'm looking forward to his episode. Uh, let's see. Love the podcast. Please keep them going by uh, SBCF15. Uh, Joe bc 3 writes, keep them coming. Love it. Um, jd112h incredible information nice to hear a podcast fo- focused on western big game hunting great local info uh, That guy 33 blk says love the show keep it coming uh, jb2012 great information lots of great tips for guys looking to start hunting big game in the west i look forward to each episode anyway guys you get the point there's a lot of great reviews and I appreciate all of the comments and all of the ratings and reviews from you guys uh, that helps our standings with iTunes uh, I want to encourage you guys to follow along on our YouTube channel at J Scott outdoors on our Facebook page J Scott outdoors um, on my Instagram which is at J Scott outdoors you can also follow my associate Dar Colburn at G-A-R-R-C-O-L-B-U-R-N. um thank you for for following along thank you for supporting us and let's get right into the episode here with tim maddock and let's talk some coos deer welcome to the j scott outdoors podcast today we have tim maddock from prescott arizona tim is a stucco contractor by trade and he's a fellow Coosdeer deer uh hunter and coos deer fanatic and uh first met him actually through cooswhitetail.com and um he's a contributor on there and um you know um has some real good um topics for conversation and is usually a uh real nice pleasant contributor on that website and i always enjoy hearing what he has to say and um he's been going down to sonora mexico for nine years uh hunting coos deer and um uh you know i've been going down since the late 90s dar and i just love it down there and um so it's always nice to talk to tim about his experiences and the things that um he's been seeing down there and he's hunted you know good ranches and bad ranches and you know there's really no bad ranch but maybe um deer that uh you know are not as plentiful and maybe the racks aren't very big for one reason or another and then he's um hunted ranches that are good have you know pretty good deer concentrations uh and with uh, pretty good bucks he's hunted both the uh, desert and the mountain ranches um as as have i and um we're going to talk today a little bit about the differences of um mountain ranches compared to desert ranches and then get into moon phase a little bit and just some of his observations and um it should be a really good conversation in regards to coos deer and uh, their habits and such. Uh, Tim, how are you doing today? I'm
1: doing great. Thanks for having me, Jay.
0: Yeah, I think um, this will be a fun conversation. I know it's something about every year we have back and forth, uh, so I figured it would make actually a great podcast episode here. So um, great to have you. Um, Tim, why don't you give me a little bit of a background uh, on yourself and your hunting background and, and what have you, and uh, then we'll we'll dive into this.
1: Well, Jay, like you said, I'm a stucco contractor up here in Prescott, Arizona. I've uh, been living here for about eight years now. Um, I've I've uh, been hunting since I was a teenager. I, I didn't grow up in a hunting family. My dad was more of a uh, an outdoorsman, camper, hiker, backpacker, um, but but really didn't get too much into hunting. wasn't against it. Um, but just that wasn't his thing. Uh, as an adult, I, I associated with some, some people uh, that, that hunted, or as a young adult, rather, and uh, it just really piqued my interest, and, and uh, as I grew old enough to be able to drive myself to some of these places and, and go hunting, I, I just connected with good, good friends and good buddies that uh, had the similar interests as I did, and um, just over the years, I, I've kind of um, focus more and more on coos deer that's always been sort of my favorite thing people talk about elk uh, being their favorite or mule deer being a favorite I am just a diehard coos deer hunter
0: well that's awesome uh, we have a lot in common in that regards uh, my wife would always argue that I'm a diehard whatever season it is at the time but uh, certainly coos deer have a special place in my heart uh, sure. Tim um, you Tell me a little bit about your first experiences going down to Mexico as far as some of the different ranches that you've hunted and terrain and, and whatnot, and maybe some of the differences uh, that, that you've uh, witnessed over the years. Sure. Uh,
1: my first experience uh, about nine years ago, I went, I went down uh, on a, a fully guided, outfitted hunt with uh, Dan Bishop, who I think you know, uh, Col Blanc Outfitters. Yeah.
0: Great guy. Uh, great
1: guy. Uh, turned out to be a friend. I've used him as a taxidermist and actually hunted it with him for three consecutive years there in the very beginning of all this. Uh, the very first day, the very first morning out on a brand new ranch that not even Dan had ever hunted, uh, I, I went out with one of his uh, uh, guides and uh, we glassed up a good deer uh, and we, we called Dan over to take a look at it and it was the, the first deer I glassed up that day and it was a buck and... Uh, this, this buck we knew was was uh, nice, but it uh, wasn't until he stepped out into the sun and got the light shining off of him, and uh, he was what we think was probably a 100, and, 100 105 inch mainframe deer, and had a big old 12 inch long wrap around uh, double main beam on him, and and that all occurred within the first you know half hour 45 minutes of hunting uh, my first experience in Mexico, and Dan got behind the, the binos and, and just looked at the deer and said you need to shoot that buck right away. And, uh, I never did shoot him. He walked over the hill and, and, and never, never saw that buck again. But, uh, that's kind of what, what, uh, uh, got me going in Mexico. Um, you know, I hunted, hunted additional two more years with Dan, um, and, uh, other various outfitters after that. But, uh, finally, finally got to doing my own thing and it's just hooked me ever since.
0: Right on. And, um, the terrain that you've hunted, uh, mainly on the mountain ranches, uh, uh, compare that a little bit with the desert ranches as far as the vegetation and, and whatnot.
1: Well, first of all, the mountain ranches and the desert ranches are to me night and day. Um, obviously one is mountains and one is more, you know, flat desert floor type of, type of country, um, Desert ranches, or excuse me, mountain ranches tend to, you know, be tough hikes in the morning, getting up into vantage points, going on on big, you know, ridges and looking across to another mountainside, long distances. Um, generally speaking, you can you can glass from one spot for you know hours on end. Uh, sometimes it's thick um, um, brush, sometimes, but but a lot of times it's it's also more of the uh, the oak trees and ocotillos and more open country, um, but in the in the desert, uh, you're you're down in the thick brushy cat claw uh, buffalo grass is real common in the area that we hunt. Um, uh, the 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 deer live on the on the desert floor more so than they do up on the, the ridges and in the, in the mountainsides. So it's just it's night and day in terms of the the terrain and the in the country. Uh, the deer are, are are still the same, but I I think they tend to behave a little differently uh, as well.
0: Yeah, and and um, my I I usually notice that on the mountain ranches you tend to see more deer. Absolutely. Uh, on the mountain ranches in the mesquite and Ocotillo country, it seems as though that's where the most deer are. Uh, then you've got the oaks. Some years maybe you'll have a bunch of deer in the oaks if there's acorns, but for me, looking at mountain ranches, um, you know the high oak uh, ranches sometimes don't have the numbers of deer that say the mesquite Ocotillo mountain ranches have. Uh, but then you contrast that with the um, desert ranches, and when I'm talking about desert ranches, you know around in the general vicinity of Hermosillo, uh, where you've basically got Same contour and same elevation. You've got desert flats with a few, uh, you know, mountain peaks here and there. But it seems as though on those desert ranches, the deer actually, even though there may be a hill or even a mountain for that matter, they actually still live in the desert floor. Right. Um, Whereas on mountain ranches, they seem to be kind of found all over. Right. I think in general uh the most coos deer the best coos deer habitat for numbers of deer seems to be ocotillo and mesquite to me and i think that holds true in arizona as well for numbers i agree um you know we're going to talk a little bit about moon phase and talk about maybe some vegetation and and such um you know I always say, oh, that buck's a pretty good buck for a mountain ranch. And people say, well, what do you mean? And, you know, granted, there are big giant bucks that get killed on mountain ranches. But in my opinion, there are bigger bucks down on the desert floor, down on the desert ranches, and... Um, so you ask the question, you know, is the vegetation better or the minerals in the soil or the genetics or something better that makes the desert deer on the desert ranches bigger? Well, I don't exactly have it all figured out. I have my speculations and we're certainly going to get into that. Um, but, you know, sometimes on these mountain ranches, a 105 inch deer, that's as big as that deer is ever going to be in its lifespan. And I feel like, you know, sometimes bucks maybe not even reach 100 inches ever as a fully mature deer. Right. Whereas it seems on the desert, you know, you get a buck with age, he's going to be a pretty big buck. Now, granted, a lot of desert ranches you don't see as near as many deer. Right. Um. So, you know, and, and that it could be a function of not seeing as many deer and... So the bucks don't have near as much competition, fighting with each other and what have you. I, I don't exactly know why. Um, my biggest buck that I've ever shot coos hunting actually came off of a desert ranch, um, came off of the desert floor um, down by Hermosillo. It was, uh, I think, 133 and 6 eighths gross, 131 and something or 130 and six-eighths net or something like that. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful big buck with a couple of extra points and what have you. Yep. But, um you know, ironically, the biggest deer, the biggest coos deer I've ever been around was actually a mountain deer that was shot by my friend Glenn Hall, I believe, in like 2000. I'm not sure, that maybe 99 or 2000. Um, seems like when you get back that far, all those years blend together, but it was 143 and five eighths and it was definitely a mountain ranch. And, um, you know, so you can't always say that the biggest deer come out of the desert, but I will say deer for deer, number for number, uh, the percentage wise, it just seems the bucks in the desert are bigger um which what what do you think about that tim
1: jay you, that's exactly my observation um you know there, there there's big bucks all over sonora mexico and and what the reasoning behind is it we may never know and we could we could argue it uh but uh i i tend to agree that for the most part on the mountain ranches you're going to see a lot more deer i can remember days of seeing 60 or 100 deer in a single you know, morning glassing session, literally that, that many deer we counted. And then yeah. on, on these desert ranches that we're hunting, there's mornings where if we see six or 10 deer or two deer, uh, or you go, uh, a, a day or two and you don't even see a, 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 shooter type of mature buck. Um, you know, but, uh, for the most part, I, I think that the genetically, the, the, the desert areas tend to, to put out, uh, genetics that are just a a heavy, massive, um, deer. Oftentimes they throw a lot of non-typical points and I, I think, you know, deer for deer, I'd put my money on seeing more big bucks on, on a desert ranch than a, a mountain ranch any day.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, you know, it's it's interesting, uh, when I killed my biggest deer down on the desert, um, you know, there were days I would go and not even see a coos deer, yeah. and so, you know, it, it's it's definitely a different style of hunting. Um, the mountain ranch is a target-rich environment, and, you know, you're glassing and, and, and picking up quite a few deer, you know, even during the middle of the day. Um, the desert takes a whole different level of patience and um it's uh both are fun in their own right. Um why don't you tell me a little bit about your uh findings this year and how you approach the hunt and your strategy and I know you ran some trail cameras and uh why don't you fill me in on that?
1: Sure. Um you know this year was our our, actually our second year hunting this particular ranch and, and we added uh actually kinda probably nearly doubled the size of the ranch, you know, by adding the, the ranch next door. Um, so some of it was, was new country to us that we had never hunted before. And then, and then some of it was country that we had hunted, uh, the year, year previous, but truth is there's so much of it. It's, it's hard to cover it all in, in that short amount of time. Anyway, we could we could spend years and, and still not, uh, um, cover everything. We, we've got probably, I don't know, 80, 90 square miles of, of, of ranch down there all to ourselves. Um, our, our focus going into it the first year was to set out some trail cameras and, and kind of get an inventory of, of where the bucks were, where the deer were, where the bucks were, where, you know, they're, they're moving to and from, bedding and feeding and where they're watering at, what times they're watering, and, you know, hopefully in the in the process get a few good deer on camera that, that we could focus our efforts on. Um, and and for the most part we were successful the, the first year we killed um five deer um all of which were over 100 inches except for one uh a bow hunter killed about an 85 inch deer it was the first coos deer he'd ever shot and he shot it with a bow so we're we're happy for him uh on, on that um we killed a 115 inch buck 117 inch buck 111 inch double drop time deer and and a i think a small hundred and three hundred and four inch deer um so we, we, we had a lot of success, and some of it was just blind luck, but, but we started to find out that these trail cameras really were was giving us a lot, of, a lot of good feedback, a lot of good information. We learned that, that uh, the, the deer preferred to hit the dirt tanks over the cement or metal troughs. Uh, we learned that, uh, or maybe reconfirmed the idea that, that coos deer like to water during the, the middle of the day. In the hours between nine and one o'clock in the afternoon is is prime time for for hunting coos deer, especially if uh, you wanted to sit water. Um, we learned a little bit about the rutting schedule of the the deer down there. That they they tend to move a lot earlier in the season, end of December, beginning of January, and then it almost seems as if they they go into a lockdown period where you just you don't see them at the water holes or on the the trail cameras as much, but uh, those times you want to be more glassing out in out in the hills and and uh, looking for rutting deer that maybe aren't going to water uh, as regularly. Um, so we took all that information that we we gathered in the first year and we just we we expanded upon it for for year number two. And instead of running um, you know 15 or 18 trail cameras, we we upped it to over 50 trail cameras. And every water source that, that we could set a camera on, we did. And some of these dirt tanks that we knew from the previous year had, had a lot of deer, some good deer on them. We'd set five or six, six trail cameras on, on these bigger dirt tanks and try to get as much of the activity as we could. And uh, we had literally thousands and thousands of pictures. And, and every day, every free minute of the day, we, we spent sorting through trail camera pictures and um you know, we just learned their patterns, and we learned their behavior, and we we still killed some good deer this year. We killed 115, 110 with a bow. Um, we killed some some hundred hundred plus inch deer, um, but we they they were deer that we were after. They were deer that we knew about from either the year before or from trail camera pictures this year, and we were able to just focus our attention on those specific deer, and allow other deer that may not have been fully mature mature or uh, you know may not have just been quite what we wanted in terms of antler size we were able to let them walk knowing that there's a great buck that might be using this ridge or, or draw or hillside um, so we, we take that information that we that we gained from from really from the trail cameras and uh, we, we put it to use.
0: Tim, would you say that the majority of the deer that you killed both years, how many of those were sitting water and, and waiting for the deer to come, and how many of them were actively out glassing and, and glassing them up?
1: It's about half and half, I would say, and it just depends on the hunter's, you know, preference. Uh, some guys absolutely cannot sit in a ground blind when it's hot out and do it for hours on end, um, and if if that's if that's the case, that's fine. We have, we have areas that will go glass and we have a lot of success there as well. Um, then there's, there's times where glassing might be the most effective way, or if, you know, the, the big buck that I killed this year, he, he didn't hit a water hole regularly. There were several in the area and he'd bounce back and forth. And so there really wasn't a pattern. And then we'd go rut. You just didn't know where he was going to water. So the best technique for him was to 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 glass and uh we we glassed him up and i was able to to shoot him about 200 yards and um but it 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 comes down to about half and half but but really it just depends on what what style or what mode of hunting you you want to do
0: sure and um what did you notice when you said the dirt tanks versus the metal tanks uh did you notice that the deer came in morning uh daylight and and uh you know um dark and the metal tanks they strictly only came in during the day were you able to draw any correlation in that regard and and i guess and or um what was your uh theory on why they didn't come to the windmills and the concrete drinkers and, and such as our metal tanks as much as the dirt tanks okay um i i
1: guess the the the, the deer I, I this is a total guess jay but i'm i'm going to say something to the effect of of two-thirds to maybe three-quarters of the deer will come in during that you know eight nine o'clock in the morning until one two o'clock in the afternoon um based on the trail cameras and based on you know our observations of sitting the the tanks um a lot of deer come in in that time frame
0: doze and bucks so, evenly uh no 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 discrepancy between the two or that's just when the deer water i mean we we think the same thing between like nine and one o'clock is when most all deer water
1: yeah and i would say that before the rut, we set the cameras at, at uh we go up Thanksgiving weekend. So between Thanksgiving and Christmas, most of the bucks are going to water at night and be somewhat nocturnal. That's not, you know, set in stone, but but our experience is for the most part in that time frame they're going to be pretty nocturnal.
0: And, and and let we're getting ahead of ourselves, but when you say nocturnal, if you had to pinpoint a three-hour window. Is it just after dark? Is it at one in the morning? Is it when is the time? When, once they are nocturnal, when did you see the biggest pattern?
1: I would say just after dark and just before light. Um, okay. You know, sometimes you get them in there at two and three o'clock in the morning, but but it, it's it, it does vary. But uh, I, I would say it's it's more, you know, an hour or two after the sun goes down, and an hour or two before the sun comes up. Okay. Um, but,
0: and, and back to the dirt tanks and the uh, concrete drinkers. You were gonna, I think, tell us your hypothesis on why they drink at uh, dirt tanks and not as much at the concrete. And it's
1: totally a hypothesis, Jay. I don't. I you know, I wish I could ask a deer someday and have them tell me why. But it seem it seems like the deer, uh, the water in a, a concrete or metal trough. You know, that cool water that's clear and you can see to the bottom and isn't all muddied up and then you know, pounded with cows walking in it and defecating in it. You'd, you'd think that's the better water for them to drink, and that would be their choice. But I see more deer at the, at the dirt tanks, uh, the dirt repressos. I think that oftentimes the cover comes right up to the edge of the tank, and so the, the deer feels like there's cover there. Um, one of the things that we've noticed is that the repressos are usually built in a wash, and you have a burned-up side, and you have a mouth or an open side that's that's you know more like a a beach and that the cattle tend to congregate and stay on on the the open mouth side of the of the water tank the deer oftentimes will come up over the berm through the brush and and uh hit hit that side i think to, to steer clear of the cattle and i do believe that that the deer and the cattle they are occupying the same country at the same time. I don't believe that coos just vacate a pasture because the the deer or the cattle are there. I know a lot of guys believe different, but I've seen them too many times together, watering together, that type of thing. But but the the deer tend to give uh, the right away to the to the cows. Um, but uh, I think the deer like to be in a little bit more open. Area where they can see their surroundings and, and not have their head buried in a trough, um, you know the the deer will come to the troughs, but I just I see them more at the at at the represos at the dirt tanks, and uh, I honestly don't know why.
0: And um, for the listeners, represso is what the Mexicans call dirt tanks. Basically, uh, they call them repressos, so that's the Spanish word. Yeah. I don't know if that's technically mean if it means tank or if it means water you know i don't know exactly but Um, that's what that's what we call them as well repressos when we're down there in mexico um and then you noticed uh in once the rut really starts let's say january 5th for that you know throughout the rest of january um they're in that lockdown period but then they also start moving around again uh towards the end of January, is that what you're saying? That
1: That's sort of what we're seeing, Jay, from from you know, probably the 1st of January until sometime around the, the, the 10th, 12th, 15th of January. It seems like some of the bucks are very patternable, or, or they, they seem to be. It's not always as easy as it sounds, but they, they seem to come into the water sometimes two or three days in a row, and then they won't come for two or three days, and then they'll come back for two or three days. Sometimes they'll just come you know, every other day. But but there's there's usually some, what you feel like is rhyme or reason to, to their pattern. And then all of a sudden, you know, around the maybe 15th, 16th, 18th of the month, getting in closer to that, that third week, which I feel is sort of, you know, when the rut really kicks in hard um, for the area that we're hunting, um, then all of a sudden it just becomes sporadic. And, and then I, I don't see as many of the the bucks coming to the water for the purpose of water. I, I see and or I feel that the the bucks are coming to the water for the purpose of a social gathering area, basically to, to find does or to bird dog does or you know they they come in with their nose to the ground a, a lot of times and they'll they'll walk right past the edge of the water and they won't ever even stop for a drink. They're just on the trail of a doe and they'll just hightail right out of there and and you, you don't see them again for. For
0: a period of time. Sure. Um, what has been your impressions, observations, uh, when you see rain on your camera and you see the raindrops and you know that it's rained, how many days does it usually take for the deer to show back up or do you see them watering right away?
1: Well, it, it's hot down there. I mean, it, it's not abnormal for us to be hunting in 80 plus degree weather down there in January. And so, if if it rains, um, you know that that the, the puddles or whatever they can they can be dried up within a matter of days, um, sometimes even hours. So, to have deer come back relatively quickly to the water, uh, it, it's not not abnormal at all to see see deer coming back within a, a day or two. Um, what it, what it can do though is fill up a, a nearby water tank that may have been dry and now all of a sudden they're splitting time between those two tanks uh so they're they're going back and forth so they you may not get them on camera as much but uh, as far as little potholes of water and and water in the bottom of the washes and stuff they're sandy so the water you know soaks into the ground and, and dries up fairly quickly
0: yeah i know that um the biggest buck I've shot in the desert, actually, I was hunting that year with um, Dar and I were hunting with Randy Ulmer and his his um, nephew, Zach, and, and um, Re- Randy and Zach actually had a picture of the buck that I killed in November, early November, and um, uh, we didn't get any other pictures of him, I guess, at all, and when we got down there to hunt in January, actually the first week, uh, the water tank where that buck had his picture taken was, uh, uh, dry. And, um, turns out the buck ended up moving over, oh, a half mile away. There was another tank that actually had water and, um, he just switched over there and, um, we ended up moving some cameras, I guess, over there. And, and ironically, um, didn't know it till after I shot him, but I believe the night before I shot him he was actually uh, they got photos of him on that tank and it's just interesting to see how um, how their different patterns change when you know certain water tanks dry up and it's, it's a little bit of a fearful thing because uh, you know potentially if, if their water source dries up and there's not another one on your ranch and let's say it might move them to another ranch, um, that that's a little scary and that's why it's always nice to have pretty big country down there right it's um, it nice
1: though when it's when it just moves them and concentrates deer around a different water hole that's on your ranch now you got twice as many deer congregating there and it potentially can be a good thing in that scenario
0: yeah absolutely and and what what was your um, how many lions <laughs> how, how many days did you have cameras out roughly and how many lions um, did you get pictures of and how many do you think were different lions?
1: I, we had cameras out basically from the end of November to the end of January and I would say, I, w- I would guess that there's a dozen different lions working the area. I mean, we we'd get, we'd get lions at, at 11 o'clock in the, in the morning, so middle, almost the middle of the day coming into water. Um, nearly every tank, at some point or another, you find a lion track on. Um, there, there, there's a lot of lions, and, and there's not a real good way to control them down there. There's no hunting season. Not, not all the cowboys have uh, rifles or uh, have a have a way to shoot them if they see them. Um, trappers and that type of thing is a possibility, but that gets expensive for the ranchers. So right, lions are a, a real concern can be a problem down there
0: yeah i mean it's a kind of a catch-22 i think for the owners of the property in one hand they want them to have rifles or twenty two so they could shoot the lions but they probably also know that their deer whether they allow it or not are going to get shot it, and not all cowboys but i mean they got to eat too and when the ranchers the owner's not there you know things happen so sure. I think it's a hard thing for them as much as they want the lions, because I'm sure they hammer their cattle too.
1: Sure.
0: Uh, they don't want to necessarily arm their uh, cowboys to be able to, to chase lions. And, and quite honestly, they have different uh, laws in Mexico who can have a firearm and who can't. So, right. But um, it's interesting, and, and and people don't really realize how many lions there actually are until you run a string of cameras like you're talking about. Um, Something that interests me in what you're saying, uh, you're running 50 cameras. Um, Are you running all the same kind of cameras? And um, have you found a particular camera and model that is your favorite as far as response time when the animal walks in and um, maybe quality of photo?
1: Jay, you're opening up a can of worms there you could make a podcast on. I don't run all the same...
0: Well, the good news is we don't have any sponsors, so we don't have to worry about making anybody mad. So um, you can go ahead and, and give me your observations.
1: I'll, I'll be con- entirely honest with you. Um, I run different brands. I have some some uh, older Stealth Cams, some newer Stealth Cams. Uh, I have Moultries, the M880s are my favorite Moultrie, uh, great range on them, fast trigger time. Um, uh, great uh, nighttime uh, range on them. That is um, my favorite camera line is the Browning uh, line of cameras. For the money, the the Browning uh, BTC5, BTC6, you can get those on eBay for 119 bucks. Buy it now. Um, they've got some of the older Brownings that are the BTC1, twos and threes that oftentimes you can get under 100 bucks on eBay. Um, all of the Browning lines, uh, for the most part, have a pretty fast trigger under a second Um, they have different nighttime ranges uh, from usually like 65 feet out to 100 feet which is really a long ways at night for the flash 100 feet is too far to really tell too much about a deer but you are able to still take some inventory if you know which big bucks are hitting a tank you'll still recognize that far out which bucket is so you can you're not going to be able to to, to score it or see a lot of detail but if you know that your big buck came in last night at one o'clock well you know maybe he's not going to come in today uh while you're sitting the blind so you might want to come up with a different option but the the brownings are, are really my favorites um two quick stories i had a i had a problem with the stealth cam a brand new stealth cam that i bought last year it never took a, a single picture from day one uh I called and I'll just say that I did not have a good experience with the customer service. I was never able to resolve it. They were never able to uh and, and they would not warranty the camera. Um, I did uh have a cup
0: brand new camera and never worked.
1: Brand new camera. It it took pictures but all of the pictures came out black. Uh it had the info strip at the bar with the at the bottom with the you know the time and the date stamp on it. But the pictures just came out black, like you went into the closet and took a picture in blackness. Uh, No flash. It it, it didn't matter if it was the daytime or nighttime. They were just black. Um, I had an issue with a couple of Browning cameras. Not Browning's fault, but I had birds that actually pecked out the little plastic sensor, the motion sensor on them. And they pecked holes in them. And I called up Browning, and I told them what happened. And the lady was nice as could be, and she said, "Hey, let me send you an instructions on how to how to remove and replace these, and I'll send you more of the caps that uh, the little the little strips that you can put in there." And uh, she sent me extras in case it happens again. Uh, on their dime, she didn't charge me a thing. It was fantastic. So, from a customer standpoint, uh, customer service standpoint, I'm I'm hooked on, on Browning cameras
0: for sure. Absolutely. Um, that, that's great stuff. Great input there. Um, let's talk a little bit about, uh, your ideas on moon phase and what you notice, uh, from an observation standpoint on deer movement with uh, moon phase. Um, and then I'll, I'll chime in. Uh, after I hear your observation. Sure,
1: and you and I have talked about this, Jay, and I think we, we believe, I, I, I think, a lot on the same lines here, but I know guys like to debate this till, till the end of time. I'm a huge proponent of hunting the new moon, and uh, I, I just really feel when that new moon lines up with somewhere about the third week of January, uh, you're in for a, a good time. And um, I, I believe just with the, the nature of coos deer to go to water during the middle of the day uh, and, and you get a new moon, sometimes even a full moon, the, the middle of the day can, can be a real active time. Uh, the whole theory behind the, the moon is essentially when the moon is on the, on the rise, the deer are leaving their bedding and going out to the feeding areas. And when the moon is directly overhead or on, uh, going down, uh, then the, the deer are leaving their feeding areas and going to the, to the bedding areas. So you're, you're, in theory, your best times to hunt deer, or any game animal for that matter, is when the moon is directly overhead or directly under your feet. And my experience, and I, I've looked on my little GPS, uh, uh, where it has the different moon times and today's gonna be a good day, a great day, an average day, and it gives you the, those little one-hour windows of when the deer ought to be moving. I have found it over and over and over again to be so true. It's it's just uncanny. Um, I I I don't know. Uh, you know, there, there's times where you may get a weather pattern or something that might shut things down. But if if things are good, then uh, I I I hunt the moon. I hunt it with coos deer. Whenever I can, I will plan my next year's January trip to Mexico around the the what I feel are the best moon days.
0: So looking into 2016, I believe the new moon is on the 10th and the full moon is on the 24th. Um, and then at 2015, I believe the full moon off memory was around the 5th or 6th and I think the dark moon, the new moon, was on the 20th. Tell me when, so you, you, third week in January this year, that's when you had the new moon, and is that when you hunted and had the most success?
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I believe we got into camp uh, this January the 16th or 17th. I believe the new moon was approximately the 20th, 21st. Um, and we were there until several days after the, the new moon, and without a doubt, in, you, you, the deer were rutting when we got there, and, and we knew they'd be rutting. But uh, you, you followed the moon times, and more times than not, it's 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 got some truth to it. That, that's all I can say. I, I don't know how to. I know there's a lot of unbelievers out there, but you know my experience is if I the moon then i tend to have more success
0: so looking into 2016 and, and this year coming up with the dark moon the new moon being um the 10th of january the the, the question is going to be
1: it's going to be tough
0: are the deer going to be rutting in time w- when it's the new moon or will they be rutting finally once it's the full moon and that's going to cause probably, uh, you know, you know, for sitting for sitting for sure, I, I got to think it's going to be a little bit tough on that new moon this coming January. I
1: agree. I think it'll be a tougher year to plan around the, the moon because the the new moon doesn't fall this year in that third week. It falls on the, the second week, which can, right. can be hit or miss.
0: And right. so, so it just yeah. presents
1: a challenge for us to kind of, See what's going to happen. Um,
0: you know. I, I think from a from a strictly mountain ranch spot and stock. Honestly, I think having that dark moon, uh, the new moon on the tenth. You know, we're probably going to show up down there the eighth or ninth, maybe the sixth, sixth, uh, seventh, eighth, ninth. We usually go on the sixth, and you know, my experience in glassing deer is, you know, when it's a dark moon, you tend to see a lot more deer, in my opinion, and, but then, you know, you also want to try and time it around when they'll be rutting, so I have a feeling the rut will probably be potentially a slow start, and then as the moon gets um, more, um, you know, as the, as the moon gets fuller, um, they'll just continue to, you know, the rut will probably be in full swing by the 24th when it's when it's full full uh the, the moon is full
1: right and and you may not see as much deer activity during the day the, mor- right. the morning and evenings uh that would be a good time period in my opinion to be out all day on the 24th and the the, the time frame around them because when the moon is directly overhead or underfoot in the middle of the day those deer ought to be up and up and moving
0: yeah, I mean, our experience is um and I have way more experience hunting mountain ranches than I do desert, but you know, when it's a full moon, you might as well not and and we go anyway. Yeah. But you could might you might as well not even go the first 2-3 hours in the morning and the last 2-3 hours in, uh in the evening. And if you just sauntered out of camp about nine thirty, ten. 10: and glass from basically 10 to two on a full moon, I think you're going to see every bit as many deer as you would see what we call prime time, you know, the first three hours of the morning and the last three hours of the evening yep. hunt. Um, and, and coos deer, especially, it just seems like they're, they're, um, you know, that moon plays a huge role with them um, as far as their movement. And, um you know, regardless of moon we always notice that um you know that 10 to 2 time frame and that's most of the time why we glass all day no matter what time of year it is for coos deer they seem to always get up and at least stand up shake a little bit and then lay back down when the shade changes you know anytime between that 10 and 2 period um you know Sometimes I say if I just had to go one period, it'd be that ten to two because right. we've we've actually found some of the biggest bucks we've ever killed between that period, right?
1: And in the scenario you're talking about, where you have the full moon on uh, and and the you know the the morning and the evening hunt doesn't tend to be good, those are days that on our desert ranches we would want to be in the blind without a doubt. That's yeah. that's a that's a blind day. Um, and and chances are we'd do very well in a blind on a day like that. Just like you said, you would see tons of deer moving around the middle of the day. Well, our deer in the middle of the day are going to be moving to and from the waterhole, so that that would that would be the option for us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it's it's hard to explain Mexico to a lot of people that that you know they call and they say. Well, isn't it dangerous down there? And they say, you know, um, uh, don't the don't they have guns down there? And there's bad people, and you know, and I, I and my answer is, yeah, there probably is. Do I ever see them? No. Um, and to think that I would miss a year of these deer that you know we love so much, I mean, to me, there's nothing like going in Mexico going to a ranch, locking the gate, knowing you're the only people on the ranch. You, you know, you've got the whole ranch leased up and, you know, you, you can find deer, you can evaluate deer. If it's not the one you want, you can leave them, you know, come back five or six days later. And okay. So you're, you know, if if you, if you got limited time, okay, I'm going to go ahead and go back and try and find that original deer. And you know it's just so refreshing and you know uh you know there's some people that say oh yeah it's you know it's private land and it's not real hunting and all that it's you know and and i argue it's actually more hunting real hunting than public in that you're actually getting to hunt the deer in their own behavioral patterns they're not bouncing around and getting kicked up by other hunters and what have you so you know i I like to hunt public land too, but it, you know, it's, it's, there's something about hunting in Mexico where, you know, it's a fairly target rich environment. Seems like there's a lot of bucks compared to, you know, you you're, you've got quite a few bucks. Even if you have a low density place, you still have quite a few bucks to choose from. That's a big and, um, it's, 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 just hard to beat it
1: uh, you can't beat it we're spoiled jay you and i are because we get to hunt mexico unfortunately not everybody could but uh um it's it's definitely an experience that i think any any uh uh in the wool coos deer hunter ought to go and do at some point in their lifetime even if it is only once um but it's it's not a canned hunt by any means there's like you said earlier in, in in this that there's good ranches and there's bad ranches. Uh, some years are better than others, and you don't always find big deer. They're there. You know, we have we have on our ranches, uh, you know, probably more big bucks that we didn't kill this year. We didn't kill the biggest bucks that we know of. They they made it through the year. We tried and tried, and we we killed what we could, but uh, the the biggest bucks on our ranches. Uh, that we are aware of survived, and we'll just know that we're going after them first next year. But
0: well, it's always nice to have something to look forward to going back, knowing a few bucks are there. And um you know, it, it's it's been our experience sometimes that you know, dar and I on these mountain ranches, we see a handful of bucks that we try and go back next year and kill, and some we do, and some some we just never end up seeing again and you wonder how many of them just got you know eaten by a lion or chased down by a coyote or you know i i think if if we probably ran more cameras and had a little bit sense of better inventory i think we'd probably realize that we see a lot of the same deer year year after year um and i i can't speak as much for the desert ranches um but you're probably getting bucks, you know, two, three years in a row, and then all of a sudden, you know, you'll end up killing one here two years from now that you're watching, you know, you had pictures of last year, and that, that, that alone is pretty neat.
1: Right. I mean, a lot of, I think five deer this year, we have trail camera pictures. Five deer that we killed this year, we've got trail camera pictures of them this year, last year, or both years. Uh, That's awesome. You-
0: that, that, that makes it a lot of fun. You almost start naming them and then you build a history with them, regardless of size. Sure. You know, you, you get some that you'll just like whatever's going on on their head and, and feel like, you know, uh, you know, I, 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 my, I've got a good friend, Bill Winky. He lives in Iowa and he's a big, you know, Midwestern Whitetail, uh, hunter and, you know, owns MidwesternWhitetail.com or MidwestWhitetail.com mm-hmm. and, you know, part of the joy of me watching his weekly webisode is the fact that he loves so much naming those deer and actually building a bond with those deer and then trying to hunt specific deer and you know it gives him a real sense of purpose um so uh you know that that's that's neat that that's what you're doing and um you got anything else to add uh i know we could talk we'll probably end up doing some other podcasts on the same subject uh um, but before we uh, let this episode go, do you have anything else uh, to add, or anything you want to ask of me?
1: Um, I, I guess one of my biggest questions for you is, do you, do you, you know, what percentage of the the bucks and deer on your mountain ranches you're you feel like you're seeing year after year? Because for me, I feel like one of the biggest differences is that on the desert ranches the deer don't move far i mean the the deer that we saw last year are the same deer even some of the does we recognize and they are exactly the same deer but on the mountain ranches i i have a theory that that the 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 deer travel further and move further and have a bigger home area
0: not- well and and i think part of that is my idea with the desert floor is there's just a lot of things for the deer to eat with all the different cactus, oh, yeah. you know, and all the succulents and all the stuff that they can eat are just right there. Yes. And so, I mean, they can, they can live in a, mes- a Palo Verde or a mesquite patch and have, you know, um, choya cactus all around them or, or, um, uh you know staghorn choya and and where they don't have to move at all and then i think sometimes these mountain ranches i i agree i think the deer move quite a bit but then i think you've got a big number of deer so you know i, I don't know that it's, it's easy to keep track of them i know i know um we actually hunted a mountain ranch 3 years in a row this was our third year And there was bucks we had the first year there. There was, oh, three or four or five bucks that, you know, were probably 105 to 110-ish type bucks that we didn't shoot specifically because we were going to let them get bigger and shoot them the next year. And we came the second year and, you know, we killed a couple of deer that we had seen the year before. But we're like, where's the one with the drop time? Where's the one with the fork G2? Where's the one? And so you wonder... You know, are they changing their antler configuration? Have they moved? Did we not find them or are they dead? And I don't know that I have an answer for you, but I can tell you, you know, and then there were bucks this, you know, in our second season that we thought for sure we were going to go down there this January and, you know, glass up in in the same spot or on the same ridge. And I'm just going to tell you that that wasn't our experience. Now, the ranch we've hunted the last three years, seems like our coyote population has gone up every year and 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 our deer numbers have gone down um and and we have killed deer that we've seen the year before and but as a general rule of thumb Dar and I were laughing this year we were like you know maybe we ought to shoot this deer cuz if we come back next year the way our odds have been we're not going to see that deer again for whatever reason right um so but I just feel like sometimes those desert ranches, I feel like they don't move as much and, you know, they may be a little bit more patternable.
1: Yeah, I, I, that's exactly the way I've observed things and I, I just think on these desert ranches, these, these deer just don't move a whole lot at all. So.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, well, that leaves a lot of good topics for our next conversation. Um, Tim, thanks so much for being with us. And, um, you know, I uh, I know I've seen a few pictures. I think I saw pictures of your bucks, um, the drop time buck, not this season, but last season. Yep. Um, I don't know that I saw your pictures this year, but what might be kind of cool is if you send me a few pictures, maybe of, regardless of size, pictures maybe of a trail camera pick, and then maybe the pick of them harvested um, from, you know, a couple years back or whatever. And, um, I'll put them on my website. And then, uh, when I, when I do the conclusion of this episode, maybe I'll, I'll put the link or in the, in the text, I'll, I'll link it. So, um, I think it'd be kind of cool to see a few of the deer that, that, uh, you've been tracking and then, and then see the bucks harvested and, um, you know, all sorts of topics for next discussion or, you know how the deer's characteristics change from year to year and you know uh you know how much did they get bigger did they stay the same you know um age you know what's the prime age for a you know mature coos buck is you know what point does he start going downhill i mean there's a lot of stuff for us to cover and i appreciate you being with us um today and uh you know one of the One of the things we got going now is, you know, the deer will be dropping their antlers, uh, you know, soon and and next couple months. And um, it's always nice to be excited when the velvet's coming and just wondering how your bucks are doing down there. And and, um, it creates a a lot of optimism in in us hunters. So um, I'm glad you were able to join us today. And um, it was a great conversation. And uh, let's do it again.
1: You bet. Thanks for having me, Jay. I enjoyed it
0: sounds good and um uh we'll we'll chat at you later great thank you okay take care tim thanks for listening to the j scott outdoors western big game hunting and fishing podcast brought to you by gohunt.com insider research faster hunt more go to gohunt.com forward slash insider and join today